Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium podcast. And a, it's a panel discussion. I'm so excited. I've done so many interviews in the last, what, six to 12 months, where it's just me and an author or me and somebody else. Uh, and we've had a dearth of panel discussions. Well, we're going to try to remedy that a uh, little more long term. But let's start with today talking about A Wrinkle in Time. This is actually a uh, uh, what's the thing called the the uh, fundraising service that we used? Patreon. No, the other one oh. where we did the whatever. This is the I the second know. book that was voted on uh, by those who helped us out financially. So we're going to be discussing Madeline Lengel's A Wrinkle in Time, which I'm really excited about. Talk about a classic. We've done a lot of classics on this podcast, uh, but this is top tier, top shelf classic, classic. Um, so. I am Craig, and with me today, you already heard her lovely voice. That's Megan. How you doing, Megan? I'm happy. How are you, Craig? I'm I'm all right. Like I said, yeah. I'm excited to to talk about this one. And you yeah. haven't heard his lovely voice yet, but you will. You know him as Coding Foo, and today you will continue to know him as Coding Foo. How's it going, buddy? It's going good. Happy to be here. <laughs> so we are um, just like we did with the Redwall series. Uh, I threw the call out to some of our patrons. Hey, if you'd like to appear on these episodes, um, you know, let me know and we can make that happen. And, and so you picked uh, Wrinkle in Time that you wanted to join us for. And I really appreciate that. I'm, I'm excited to talk Madeline Lengel with you. Okay. Yep. Before we get into it, I'll remind everybody to go to thelegendarium.com. TheLegendarium.com, where you can get uh, past episodes, you can get the calendar with future episodes, you can also get links to Patreon and Discord, and if you're listening to this before uh, February of 2024, you can get the link to our meetup happening in Ogden, Utah, just outside Salt Lake City. So if you uh, are able to and willing to, you want to come out and join us for a weekend of, I'm sure, just insanity and debauchery then you should do so uh the link for that there is at uh, thelegendarium.com okay guys let's talk a wrinkle in time where where do i even start with this this book was published in 1962 you know won all the awards everybody recognized it seemingly it seemed to recognize it immediately for the, the classic that it was destined to be that doesn't mean that everybody loves it, and we can talk about some of the reactions to the book. Uh, but first, let's give ours. Uh, Coding Foo, what did you think of your read? Was this your first time? Was it a reread? And how did it go for you? Uh, no, I've, I was kind of why I wanted to talk about this is it was one of those formative books I read as a kid, and but I hadn't read it since. And so, I mean, I was probably 12, I think, when I first read it and somewhere around there. And mm -hmm. so I, did, I, I didn't remember too much. I definitely remember sure. like the Tesser and just uh, kind of a little bit of the general details. But uh, the Mrs. W's and yes. some of those things that, that stick out to a kid. Yep. And then I had seen the movie, the most recent movie. And then uh, this read through was a whole different, you know, uh, I definitely understand a lot more. I'm matured as a reader. And so reading it this time was uh, very enjoyable to reread kind of that classic. And it held up like I, I every once in a while, you read a, reread a certain thing you read as a kid and, and didn't enjoy it. Out. Yeah. But, but, but <laughs> I this have one been did. told, I have been told that under no circumstances should I go back and read Hatchet. Uh, this was... Do you, Megan, did, was this a thing for you? I, I'm pretty sure all boys who were born in like, like the, between the seventies and the nineties yeah. had to read Hatchet mm -hmm. when they were in say fifth, sixth grade, something like mm -hmm. that. Um, and there's, I've been told not to go back and read it. I, yeah, I'm sure it's not that bad, but. Uh, they're still doing it. They're still reading it. And uh, my, daughter, my daughter just read oh, good. Hatchet. So. Um, but A Wrinkle in Time, uh, yeah, definitely holds up. It's a bit like. Um, it's a bit like a weightier Redwall. I mean, we just got done doing a few Redwall books mm -hmm. where, hey, this is perfect for kids. It talks to them on their level, mm -hmm. stuff they can understand. 
Uh, but like I said, it's, it's weightier, it's meatier with philosophy and um, and emotion, I think, than the Redwall books, which are kind of, you just kind of like skip across the surface of the lake and here you dive in a little bit more, at least in, in my view. Megan, I, what did you think? How did it go? I really like the timelessness aspect of this one where it really, I mean, it was written in the 60s, but it feels like it could have been written at any time because um, it's it's kind of made up well it's based probably on actual science but it's um it gets to be its own thing and i i really enjoyed this book it's the second time i read it um i read it for the first time a couple of years ago as an adult and i forget exactly why but i remember um i liked it so much that i immediately bought the five book box set and sent it to my nephew still haven't read the other four books so i don't know if he read them i don't know if he's read all of them or just one of them um but it was one that meant a lot to me uh just i don't know if everybody feels like a weirdo sometimes but i definitely do and so it was yeah. kind of cool that meg's differentness was um part of her superpower and one of the gifts that she was given is you know remember your remember how you're different remember your problems yeah. um because there'll be a strength I and that was true that. for charles wallace as well mm -hmm. uh you know everybody is kind of made to embrace themselves uh to embrace their superpower right exactly. um uh oh shoot what was i gonna say oh uh, you know what i before we go on with the book i uh coding for you referenced the movie the latest movie oh no i remember what i was gonna say actually it kind of ties in as well i did not see the latest one oh. not because i am uh, like a a constant or, or continuing devotee of this book i i like you i haven't read it since i was a teenager but when the movie came out i was like there's no there's no world in which this movie enhances my enjoyment of the story so it it wasn't like it i don't know i don't even know what yeah. people generally think about it maybe people loved it maybe people hated it i didn't pay attention i just said you know what i it's fine i i don't want to I, I i don't want the movie to kind of crowd the space in my head and my heart for this story and similarly megan you were talking about uh, like i haven't read the other four books are there four more wrinkle in time books there are at least four she doesn't uh they're not sequels they're more just kind of like more stories companion about books. these companion books okay yes, companion books yeah um, I, I feel like i've been burned too many times by continuations of really you know classic books this i don't know how classic it'll be in 50 60 75 years but uh, a good example for me would be the hunger games where I really, mm -hmm. really enjoyed the first book, thought it was excellent. Uh, and then by the time I was done with the third book, it had ruined the first book for me. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, I'm um, out of here. Yeah. Uh, so I, I that, that's, like I said, kind of a stupid example. But um, I, when I find something like A Wrinkle in Time, where I'm like, book one is amazing, and it can't possibly, my experience with it can't be improved by continuing on with the series, then I don't, which is, I, I know that is unfair. It is, I admit it. I throw it out there. That is unfair. And people can throw their comments in uh, for, you know, what should be the exceptions to that. Or if I'm just outright wrong, that's fine too. But uh, Well, and it could also fall under the handle of, well, that's not how I imagined the characters would end up because it mm. definitely goes into like children of main characters and what happens to the main characters. And there are a lot of people that don't like what happens with Meg. It's like, oh, well, okay. You know, tangent you don't want time, that to be ruined. That's fine. Tangent time. Similar to what I was just really? talking about. Uh, the one of maybe like the, maybe a top three season of television of all time is the first season of Ted Lasso. Oh. And by the time I finished the series, I, I will give no spoilers about what happens to who or whatever. But by the time I got done with the series, I was so just, I don't know if furious is the right word, but just <laughs> utterly exasperated <laughs> with the choices that they had made for their characters. And kind of similar to what I was talking about just a moment ago, it kind of, it doesn't ruin, but it, it casts a pall over a that, few of the that genius of the first season. Quickly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's some of that. Anyway. Um, but I 
I bring that up partly to beat the dead horse of the uh, the point that I was bringing up earlier. And also because if you've watched Ted Lasso, you remember that uh, A Wrinkle of Time is the book that Ted gives to the uh, to Roy, Roy Kent in the first season when he's giving everybody books that it's like obviously personally chosen for them mm -hmm. to teach them some lesson. Uh, he gives them A Wrinkle in Time. So what do we get out of a wrinkle in time what are the what are the moments the characters the decisions the anything you want what are the highlights what are the things that we pull out of this book and i'll start with mine okay i just to give you guys a little time to think about it for a second um this is a point that i brought up with redwall and it is a point that i will bring up with any really well done children's book probably any really well done children's book. And that is the idea of certain cliches. Uh, we get this in Harry Potter. We get this in a million kids books, but love conquering all love is the antidote. Love is the thing that overcomes evil in the end. And it's this in the hands of a poor author or if delivered to the wrong audience in the wrong way, it can be just, you know, an eye-rolling cliche. Oh, sure. Okay. The power of love. Blah, blah, blah. But by the time you get to the end of this book, it's, and it's a very short book. So you get to the end of this story, but you feel like, I mean, you have gone through so much with these characters. Yeah. And so the, it, I feel like it's earned and it's, so it's earned in the story on its own right. And it's also delivered perfectly for its audience, which is, you know, preteens and young teenagers, right? Yeah. What I, so for those who don't remember, uh, we didn't even do a recap of the story, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the evil, uh, the evil presence, it, the, the darkness that kind of covers uh, much of the, universe whatever and it's partially taking over earth or whatever they go to a planet that's totally covered by it uh, and it has uh, hypnotized her little brother charles wallace and she has to go rescue him and how can she break him out of the spell of it uh, and she does it through love telling him that he, she loves him over and over again and it snaps him out of it and they break the spell and so like i say it if you describe it in that way oh well that's an a horrible cliche, isn't it? But when you read it in this book, written the way that she wrote it, I don't mind it at all. I really like that moment. It's also I one agree. of those books that's so old that like it kind of maybe set. I, there's probably stuff prior to it, but it's old enough yeah. that it set it. Yeah, yeah, it came that's out a... before Harry Potter, so <laughs> Harry Potter's the cliche by a bit, not a wrinkle in time. Yeah, Which, you I know struggle I love Harry with Potter. that. It is my fandom, but still. I, I I struggle with that sort of thing because I <laughs> I feel like that's probably true, but I don't I, I'm not well versed enough in the history of science fiction and and uh, children's stories to know for sure. Yeah. And so, so, so I've been listening to be. the audiobook. I borrowed it on the Libby app, and at the end of it, there was a afterward written by one of Madeline Madeline Langle's granddaughters. Mm. Yeah, where I, I did the same thing. I, I listened okay, to it this time. It's fascinating. It was so good. And it just put a, a totally different spin where it talks about how like the planet became became dark because it was obsessed with decorum. And everybody searches out like safety and security and not having to think too much and just sort of being able to be part of the status quo. And um, let's see what she said is, uh, well, that her grandmother said, she said, love is not power which is always considered coercive. Love is to be vulnerable and is only in vulnerability and risk, not safety and security that we overcome the darkness, um, which I found really fascinating, especially when you think about how um, when the kids are having the conversation with the missus uh, early on, they talk about how it's the, the artists and the thinkers and the scientists who mm. are the ones that are like waging the war against the darkness, because these are people who are being vulnerable and reaching outside of themselves and thinking like odd thoughts and being subversive in that way where they're not relying on the status quo. They're not doing the safe thing. Um, and it's, uh, there is, I 
often tell my friends when they tell me something that's really hard for them, I always thank them for their vulnerability and trusting me with that vulnerability because that's a big deal. And that takes a lot for people to be able to do that. So I just imagine Meg going to Charles Wallace and saying, I love you and having that vulnerability and realizing that she might get sucked in with him because she's there with him Hmm. and she's no stronger than he is, but she does it because she cares about him because she knows that vulnerability um, he is going to appreciate that because he loves her too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's something that the bad guy doesn't have. Mm-hmm. I I picked up on that same quote. Like I listened to it as well. The item book performance was great. Um, and that afterward was, yeah, it was one of the best parts of kind of that story. I love uh, an accompanying text with something like this where, mm-hmm. you know, somebody breaks it down. And so, sometimes it's for, uh, I just did the episode about, um, about uh, the, uh, not, not just the Inferno, the uh, comedy, Dante's comedy. Oh. And, um, <laughs> like, that's a text where I appreciate the accompanying text to just explain what the heck is going on. <laughs> but with a story like this, it's not that I take uh, her granddaughter's, um, uh, and I haven't read this passage that you guys right. are talking about. It's not that I would take her view as the gospel truth, but it is nice to have an interpretation from somebody who is a, a lot closer to the text and the author than I am, right? right? So it's nice to get their uh, their view on it, get uh, get a view to consider and accept or reject as you will. Um and uh, on that love part, there was a uh, something that uh, maybe different than other things is like she didn't beat the it, like she didn't somehow free the entire planet. Uh huh. She just freed Charles Wallace. It mentions mm-hmm. like I wasn't able to love it and like you know somehow defeat it. <laughs> Um, but she was able to love Charles Wallace and free him. But it wasn't like this grand, like, Ooh. you know, she went on a quest you know, to beat all the bad or anything like that. It was just her and her brother. I thought that was interesting because I, I thought I had the same thought when it got to the end of the book and it just kind of ended. Um, it's like, oh, they're home and and the dad is home and that's great. Um and I thought, well, what was the whole point behind this book? And really the whole point and what the missuses were trying to do, and I'm sorry, I'm going to keep calling them that because I love it. Um, they were trying to help bring Mr. Murray home. Like yep. they were trying to help Charles Wallace and Meg bring him home. And that was pretty much all they did. Like that that was the only change. But in bringing him home, they have somebody else that will help the world to fight the darkness that they're all in because exactly. now they are also aware of the darkness and they also know how to beat it. Yep. It was kind of help train more people to help fight against the darkness. Yeah. Well, and also embrace who they are, which especially yeah. kids at that age, like young kids want to be the same. Nobody wants to be the weird kid. Mm. Nobody wants to, you know, they like everybody goes to junior high. I don't know if you guys were like this. I sure was. Nobody wants to be the weird one. I was like the last one, I swear, to shave my legs. And it was a big deal to all of my friends. I'm like, oh my gosh, Megan, did you do it? I'm like, <laughs> I totally did. Three days ago. I'm so glad you could tell. Because um, nobody wants to be the weird kid. So that's a really hard thing to embrace. And as we get older, we're like, oh, actually, this is part of what makes me cool is that I'm a little bit wacky. And it's one of the reasons why my friends like to hang out with me because we're not all exactly the same. And you bring something interesting into my life. Yep. I was, uh, we should talk about conformity. Um, uh, do I want to talk about it now? Actually, I want to stick with the ending. Okay. Um, but yeah, remind me, let's come back to the idea of conformity in here. Cause that's a huge theme in this book, right? Mm-hmm. Individualism versus conformity. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, considering the audience, what a stroke of genius to take a story that's so grand. It's so huge. Um, you know, it, in Star Wars terms, the Empire has got their Death Star and they're leveling it at the galaxy and saying, you know, we'll kill you if you don't submit. Mm-hmm. Um, and in most stories like that, you blow up the Death Star, you dismantle the Empire, you, you know, you, you force massive sweeping change through your actions. And in this one, I hadn't thought about it until you guys were just talking about it, but what a stroke of genius to 
present this giant problem and then present a solution that isn't as grand as the problem, mm -hmm. but it's accessible. It's mentally and emotionally accessible to a 12 year old. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. We, we talk about spheres of influence. And if you're 12, you're not yeah, I mean, you're not saving the galaxy. You're not right, saving right. I, I, Joan of Arc's excluded, right? right. I, Ender, Ender Wigan excluded. <laughs> uh, you're, I, I'm thinking more real world examples. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah. it is unlikely that as a child you are going to make massive sweeping changes to the whole right. world. But we all have a sphere of influence, and if you're a teenage girl like Meg, your sphere of influence is especially strong with your little brother or you know your immediate family or your closest friends right you, you have this really small circle as a kid like that and so what a stroke of genius for her to present a solution that is contained within a realistic sphere of influence inside this obviously fantastical story right. yeah i really like that thousand percent she she doesn't necessarily change the world that she lives in, but she changes her personal world where like the thing that she's most made fun of is that her dad is gone and now mm. her dad is back. So I guess there are going to be other things that kids may tease her about later, but that's one thing where she's like, yeah, my dad is home and I made that happen. Yeah. She I've was got, able to bring her whole family home. I've, I've got two kids in elementary school right now. And you know, one of them is about to go to junior high here mm. uh, in the next little while. And can confirm kids can be real dicks yep yep <laughs> some sometimes i'm tempted to be like no kids wouldn't say that to each other they're not gonna they're nobody's gonna nobody's gonna make fun of you for your dad not being around oh yes they will yeah yeah they oh will. my gosh yeah kids can be really awful sometimes okay uh other favorite moments or bits that you guys want to talk about before i go to you know conformism and the 60s and communism and all that stuff Oh, one another theme was kind of realizing the infallibility of or the fallibility of adults. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, go. Um, it's it that moment when they're back on. Uh, they've escaped from Kamazots, and she's realizing her dad. She uh, the feeling of like, oh, if I just find my dad, if I just get to him, then everything will be solved, mm -hmm. and. He was able to partially save them. Like he was able to get Calvin and Meg out, but not Charles Wallace. And so it's kind of showing, you know, he was able to do some stuff, but, you know, he wasn't the fix all. Hmm. It wasn't a silver bullet. Yeah. Just because yeah. you're an adult. Yeah. Another example I was thinking of um, when you brought that up was uh, her conversation with her teacher and then the principal afterwards toward the beginning where, you know, Meg is being pigheaded and the teacher basically throws her out. And I'm just, you know, there's that piece of me that's reading it from Meg's point of view, basically. That's like, well, if you took some time and you really talked to her, but she's an overworked teacher, she doesn't really have that time. It's hard when you have one kid that's really hard because you have a whole bunch of kids that you're supposed to teach. So it's just kind of easier to shuffle that kid into like the problem category and then send it to the principal who just really condescending is like oh yeah no i'll totally listen but then it's just kind of like doesn't really doesn't care about her point of view doesn't listen um and so i can see her like she feels good with her mom but she doesn't really trust any other adult because nobody else will make time for her yeah they say they want to help, but they don't really follow through. And so that's just, that's not helpful. No, it's not. The other, the other thing I would bring up is like, or my other bit I thought was funny was, uh, this flew over my head when I was a kid, but like Calvin, he's, he's a smooth talker, right? Like he had some lines in there with Meg that I was like, uh, you might be talking a little old for, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Well, but even then, you, you see where Calvin's coming from. You have this very brief glimpse of his mother beating his two younger siblings. Yeah. Um, and that's like, it's just another unreliable adult who um, isn't 
listening to the individual kids. She has too many kids to deal with and too much going on. Yep. To deal with this world, so. world problem. All right. Should we talk philosophy here? Yep. Sure. Uh, especially, uh, you know what? We're going to break the party rule, guys. You, you go to a party. What are the two things you're never supposed to discuss? Politics, politics, politics and, religion. and religion. So let's talk politics and religion, shall we? Yay! Um, because they're, they're this both was, in this book, they, and <laughs> in heavy, heavy doses. Um, I, I, I looked up the date because it felt. I, I would have. If you'd asked me before I read the book, when was it published? I would have said, I don't know, 50 years ago, something. While reading the book, if you asked me, you know, this time around, if, I, if you'd asked me when was this written, I would have said sometime in like the early to mid 70s. Uh, but in fact, it was 1962. And I thought that was really interesting with its, uh, with the book's um, depiction of, it, it has to be said, its depiction of uh, communism, basically like the forced conformism, or uh, as somebody puts it on, I, you know, checked out the Wikipedia page and people have got quotes in there. Um, Let's see, somebody compared Kamazots to an early 60s American image of life in a communist state. Uh, And so I thought that was an interesting way of looking at it where Madeline Langle, you know, hey, she's not from the Soviet Union or wherever, right? But, but in the sixties, we had this image of what communist countries would look like. And I, one of my enduring images from even when I was a kid is when they get to, is it on Kamazots or, or is it the other one with the, the uniform houses? They're it's walking down the road. Yeah. On Kamazots. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's this kind of creepy image and all the people are kind of drones, uh, that are all doing the same thing and walking the same way. And so it's this uh, kind of dark version of uh, of like the Stepford Wives or something, right? Uh, <laughs> I always think of that line from Gone in 60 Seconds where they're lost and, uh, and the character goes, oh man, I'm stuck in suburbia hell. And like that's what, uh, what that moment kind of feels like. Anyway, um, and I... <sighs> I'm not sure exactly how far to go with this, but I do think it's interesting to think about when this was written in the 60s. Okay, so it was the early 60s when, you know, we passed through the age of McCarthyism, but communism was still a a major fear of um, most Americans uh, back in the 60s. You know, they were terrified of the communist regimes. And this this is the image that... It, at least she had, and it obviously resonated with a ton of people, um, even at the time. So, I, I, you know, obviously, <laughs> life in communist countries was more uh, uh, complex than yeah. what she was, you know, than what she was presenting. It's not like everybody's walking around brainwashed or something. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like that kind of peek into the early 60s American mindset. So that that is interesting. I also thinking about the early 60s, I think of segregation. Mm, yeah, um, good one. And kind of the oh, I don't really I'm a white woman, so I don't know that I feel like I can say a whole lot about segregation. Um except like it's just kind of another one of those things where oh, they're different. We should keep them at arm's length, but actually the differences are what help all, make all of us whole. Mm. Like we all we need each other. Yeah, oh, no, sorry. absolutely. I mean, oh, it's... sorry, I just totally. Well, well, they yeah, they up. kind of bring that up in the afterward, but Meg says she talks about uh, like not being equal. Yes. Or or equal. Yes. What is that? The um. Anyways, essentially, like uh, we can be equal but not alike. I think is actually the correct. Uh, right, which mainly, is, I mean, that's an ongoing debate. Now yeah. in our generation as well, what what do these words mean, and what should we be striving for? Yeah, um, kind of. We don't need to conform, but maybe share equal rights type of thing versus mm-hmm. uh, in Kamazots. Yeah, yeah, in Kamazots, the the thing is everyone's doing the same thing to the same beat. They are literally in sync. 
to avoid any pain. Uh, Which is the, oh, what, right. I mean, that gets into, um, into the, the whole idea of, um, how, uh, uh, security, safety and yes. security versus freedom, um, yeah. being a big part of it, of, uh, that debate. Right? Uh, Megan, it looked like you realized something or you were going to say something. No, I found the quote that, um, oh, Cody yeah. was referring to and it, yeah, let's hear it. He basically said the things. So <laughs> I still want to hear it. Oh, well, now I've lost it. Oh, you've, it says, you've... Oh, no, no, no. So <laughs> she, cause she's trying to, to think of the words of the declaration of independence. Cause it isn't, it doesn't like rhyme mm. or have a pattern. And she says, that's a, uh, that's exactly what we have on Kamazots, complete equality, everybody exactly alike. For a moment, her brain reeled with confusion. Then came a moment of blazing truth. No, she cried triumphantly, like and equal are not the same thing at all. Yep. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it calls to mind um, Brave New World, another mm -hmm. dystopian novel. This one, not for children, obviously. Okay. Uh, but uh, Brave New World, it's <laughs> it presents this this uh, society with kind of rigid structure and uh, you know egalitarianism in the way that we're talking about. Uh, but it asks you a really uncomfortable question in Brave New World, which is is this wrong? And if so, why? Uh, and it's a, when you read that book, that is a tough question to answer, right? <laughs> Whereas when you read A Wrinkle in Time, <laughs> Madeline Lengel gives you this image of Camazots. And it is, um, I couldn't have remembered any of the specific language that she used or anything like that. But uh, similar to the, the other stuff I was mentioning, remembering from when I was a kid, I never forgot just how utterly creepy Kamazots is. We, you know, the, with the the kind of pulsing and the everybody, as you say, doing things to the same rhythm, and it's yeah, it's well, all. She takes something as basic as play, which is supposed to be when you are getting creative and you're figuring things out and you're learning for yourself, and it's nice to have rules when you're playing a game or something, but you have to be able to have fun with it you have to be able to explore and to learn and these poor kids like there's the one kid that was bouncing off the beat and he ended up having to go into some kind of weird therapy mm. um and was actively in pain as he was bouncing the ball on the beat because he wasn't able to be creative he wasn't able to play with it and he wasn't growing and it's tough to be that kid because yeah. I, I thought it was interesting that the one time we see like or that we see that pain that he was going through when the promise of like Kamazats is freedom of pain and mm -hmm. all of that. So it's like, oh, if you don't conform, then they punish, then you get punished and you, you feel know, that pain that they promise you won't have if you conform. So, and it's, uh, we, we can bring in the Stormlight Archive here. Uh, I'll, I'll spoil a line, but if you haven't read the books, don't worry. There's no context. I'm not spoiling anything for you. Uh, but the line, if you've read those books, you'll remember, you cannot have my pain. Yep. Uh, and there's there's something of a similar lesson there where it, what what is it that you truly want? Do you truly want uh, what you call freedom from pain? freedom from want, freedom from need? Is that what you really want? Or do you want creativity and growth, um, you know, personal excellence or whatever your goals may be? Do you want to have goals? Yeah. <laughs> is that a thing? Because that, that all comes with pain. Yeah. It is, it's an unav unavoidable fact of our existence and it's going to be of different kinds and different degrees, but it is unavoidable if we want, um, essentially if we want growth and goals yep yeah. so let's talk religion uh we can come back to politics if we want let's talk religion okay because this is this is a a thoroughly thoroughly christian book right uh it is soaked through with uh tons of references and allusions and full-on quotes from like the gospel of john and all that stuff uh so this is a thoroughly christian book and yet and yet, um, my understanding, imperfect though it is, 
is that uh, there are a lot of Christians were, you know, there were and maybe are still a lot of Christians who do not care for this book because it's, it, it casts a very wide, uh, you, you might call it a liberal net, <laughs> it casts yeah. a net liberally across time and uh, human experience and, and says, look, this may be a Christian book. And, you know, you, you talk about the light versus the darkness and, you know, this represents Christ and that's the sacrament and this is uh, the, you know, whatever uh, imagery you want to pull in. But there are multiple references to non-Christian things and people throughout history and, uh, and in their moment that are also fighting back against the darkness. Um, and so, you know, for a certain type of uh, a very conservative Christian, that that it may not sit as well. And I know that it didn't for some people. Uh, did you guys pick up on any religious themes that you liked, didn't like? Um, how how did the religion in this book play for you? I like that bit about okay. that they added that she listed all those other like religious figures and mm. some non-religious figures as like scientists and back. artists yes. and yeah um uh, as fighting back because she could have if she really wanted to just said oh it was just jesus christ or just mm. you know aslan uh, yeah mm-hmm. arabic prophets or uh, or, or uh, not abrahamic prophets not yeah. arabic sorry um like that whole like you know judeo-christian list if you will versus she was kind of inclusive of multiple different uh, faiths and non-faith. And so, um, yeah, I, I read that same, some of uh, commentary about how some people didn't like that. Hmm. It's a, a viewpoint that I quite like. Um, it, you can You can believe in the truth and you can believe that uh the religion you belong to or you know the the way you were raised like this this is the truest way to live you know by however you want to define the word truth right that's fine if you want to believe that but where i get off the train is when somebody starts talking about um, a certain mode of thinking or a certain tradition as having a monopoly on truth and nothing else has anything to offer. <laughs> and yep. so, so I like this, uh, the way that she handles that stuff. And I know we're, we're, this is very surface level. We're not like diving into any of the specific instances or whatever, but, uh, but I, I, I like that kind of, uh, wider net that she casts to use my previous phrase. I, I do too. It, it felt very inclusive, but it also just gives a validity to, um, it's okay to open your mind. It's okay to look at these things in a different way. Cause here these children are looking at that in a different way. Like these, you know, are people, these were religious leaders, these were writers, but they are also warriors fighting a battle. And you mm. are one of the warriors fighting this battle um, with yourself, with however that looks in your life. Um, I admit that I was very uncomfortable when the name Jesus came up because like you said, Craig, I have a very specific idea in my mind of Jesus and like how the world works. but. I am not opposed to having that challenge. I'm not opposed to looking at it in a different way. And I would hope that the way that it's brought in, like mentioned in this book is, I don't want to say a safe way, but it's like, it's a way that doesn't, uh, I just lost my whole train of thought. I just hope that it's a way that kids would be able to kind of look at it and like just enough and be like, oh, that's an interesting way of looking at that. Maybe I could look at, X, Y, Z in a little bit of different way too. Cause yeah. I, I, I mean, um, I was reading that and I was thinking about a conversation I had with my nieces a couple of years ago where one of my nieces was like, we were talking about church and some of the things we'd learned there. She's like, yeah, I just have a hard time believing that such and such. And I just, in my mind, I was like, you're 11. What do you know? Like, why do you think you know what that is? But all I didn't, I don't remember what I, I said, something very useless, um, very neutral and very useless, but I, I also think it's kind of cool that she's trying to use her critical thinking and her critical reasoning. And yes, she has a very small experience, but that's one of the reasons why we read. That's one, like we read things to learn things we wouldn't have otherwise. 
Um, and so I would hope that that would kind of give a safe space to explore their thoughts. That's what I was trying to say before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, all right, let's begin the process of wrapping it up. Um, and you... what I, I... Oh, I was gonna ask if you said what you wanted to say about conformity or if we missed that window. Uh, you know, you know what? Okay, I'll say this because okay. uh, if we're gonna do some final thoughts, I'll just make this uh, kind of my my final thought. I th I think that if you if you make her political observations abstract enough, I like them. Um, if you you know you talk about conformity versus individuality and freedom and all that stuff, like I'm 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 all in. That's great. I do think if you read it too um, uh, with too much of an allegorical eye, uh, which maybe she was writing with, maybe she wasn't, but you know, it does feel very much like a, a, uh, <laughs> what's the the line? The uh, full tilt boogie toward freedom, uh, whatever. I, I can't remember <laughs> the line from the movie, but she's a 60s American writing about communism. That's definitely what it feels right. like. And like I said, the question is a lot more complicated than what we get on uh, on. Um, oh shoot, what's the name of the planet? <laughs> I keep Camelot. I can never remember it for whatever reason. I should. It's um, like Camelot, but not. That's right. Apparently, it's a Mayan bat god. That's what oh. Wikipedia taught me. That's the name of a Mayan bat god. That's uh, cool. Anyway, it's the reality is so much more complicated. You know, when you're talking about. Uh, communism back in the 60s or whatever. Um, I think her religious angle hits a lot better for me than her political one. Like I say, if you abstract it enough, then I'm I'm with her. Um, but if you make it allegorical, then it's like, uh, you, you may, may not have known uh, as much as, uh, as I would have liked you to, or, or portrayed as much as I would have liked you to about the complexities of, uh, some of the, the political, uh, dynamics at play here, but Hey, that's just me. Um, overall, I mean, okay. So if we're doing final thoughts, I will say what a pleasure. I'm so glad I got to revisit this one. We're only giving this a really short treatment. Uh, you know, we could do hours if we wanted to dig into the, the like, really get into the text, but we're not doing that. We're just kind of skating over the surface here. Uh, and I really enjoyed the chance to go back to it. It's so short. It's so easy to read as an adult. You can knock this out in an afternoon and less than that, it'll take you a couple hours and you're done. Um, so if it's been a while since you've read A Wrinkle in Time, just go give it another shot. It's, uh, it's a really, really lovely kid's book that holds up for adults and gives you plenty to think about. Great. Megan? I would, I would add oh, on. No, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Do the audiobook. Oh, yeah? Oh, do you was... know who read it? Hope Davis. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it was that good, huh? I got to double really check. Good. Yeah. She does so, a really good job with it. Yeah, they, they did audio effects with different voice, like uh, when it was talking versus kind of others. And just it 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 made Kamazots feel even spookier for, mm. you know? kind of yeah. what you were mentioning, so. Um. Um, one thing I, if I'm, if I'm talking about my last thoughts, um, I, I think about Meg at the beginning of the book and I think about what she goes through and her life at the end. And in the first chapter, she says, I am full of bad feeling. This mm. poor girl is really struggling. She feels very alone. She feels very beat up. And she meets Calvin. I mean, she has her brother and she has her mom who understand her and love her as she is. But she, Meg also knows that they are, her mom and her brother are also othered, um, which again makes her feel alone because she feels like she has to protect them against the world. And so again, she is very alone. And she meets Calvin, who is a pretty cool kid, um, who thinks that she's amazing and very cool and has wanted to get to know her for all of this time. And as she goes on these adventures, um, I think it's fascinating uh, her conversation with Aunt Beast, mm. where Aunt Beast is trying to, you know, she, well, what is vision? What is seeing? What is looking? And Meg is trying to explain it, but she doesn't know how to explain something that is so common and so normal to her. And I feel like 
there are a lot of adults who feel like this too, but people, even the people who care about you and will take the time to listen, don't always understand things from your point of view, but just having somebody who is willing to listen means everything. Mm. Just having somebody who cares enough to want to help, who will sit there and not understand, but love you through it will help you get through the bad feelings, will help you get through the dark times, um, penetrating your world or your personal world or whatever. And so thanks to all the people who support me and love me, even if I'm a weirdo and thank you for loving the weirdos <laughs> in your lives. Cause they may not be able to say it and they may not always act like they appreciate it, but they it really makes a difference. It. No, I, yep. that's one of those things. I I'm really glad you said that Megan. It's one of those lessons that you can be taught over and over and over again, because we forget it over and over and over again. Um, I am, I am a consummate problem solver. When somebody comes to me with a problem, I'm uh, one of those guys, you know, sure. uh, somebody brings me a problem and I'm like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Okay. Whereas the lesson that needs to, that needs, that bears reminding <laughs> is yeah. just listen. You know, it, there will be time for solving problems. And uh, oftentimes that time is later right now. Just listen and be there. I love that. Yeah. All right. I've, I've learned through. to I've learned to think about what you're talking about as this problem solver mm. as listening as one of the ways I solve problems. Ooh, so, nice. So Ooh. so reframing it so mm. that uh, that problem solver part of me is like, OK, I'm solving the problem by just listening. I love that. Yeah. And I, I definitely second Megan's point of, of listening, even if you can't relate, mm. uh, has been at a big effect on my life, you know, of, of people that are willing to just listen and, you know, even if they, and, and recognizing they, they straight up say like, they, they don't try or they just say like, this is a situation I don't understand, but I'm here, I'm listening and they listen and it yeah. makes a world of difference. Yeah, so, the problem matters to you, so it matters to me. Yep. And usually even just explaining it out is all you need. So, Fine. Any final thoughts from you, Coding Fu, on the book? Um, Are you going to give this to your daughter, who I've met she, and is amazing? She has already read it, and that's oh, actually good. why we watched the movie. Oh, um, nice. I... So yes, I recommend it to everyone to read. The the f two sequels I read as a child, they are well, companion books. I, mm. From what I remember, they are very different. And so you worried about them kind of ruining the previous books. And I'm, I'm really tempted to myself, now that I've finished reading this one, to go back and kind of read them and see if that's the case. Sure. Um, uh, from and what you're I probably a better person than I am. So you're better able to separate the one from the other and not let the one ruin the other. And so you go. Ahead. Yeah. I did. I just remember them being a very, uh, different type of story and like, mm -hmm. um, so I, it, it might be a little different than might not ruin them just because yeah. they're so different. So it's kind of like the, I'm thinking like it's a different vibe, kind of like the movie version of the wizard of Oz versus return to Oz. <laughs> okay. Did you ever right. see Return to Oz? Return uh, no. to Oz is terrifying. Okay, yeah. never mind. Yeah, not 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 happening. Um, and and uh, one last option is uh, yeah, the audiobook version I listened to. It says it's read by Madeline Langle. Really? Wow. Like, Jealous. really? So okay, it like that's it. No, I'm efforting this while we're talking. Um, yeah. Wrinkle in time. <laughs> by really read by madeline langle yeah it would appear that she did do a version at yeah written and read by so there you go you can get her version i uh this is not one that i had considered doing audio for just because it is such a short book yeah. i i don't feel like i need to uh, use any uh tricks or techniques or time savers to get through it you know take it to yeah. the gym and uh, knock out an hour that way um and so I, I didn't even think of that. And shoot, now I just may. Yeah, so. I, I found it very entertaining and it, it added a different element to the story that I remember. So it's when I when I do nonfiction audiobooks, 
I always want it to be narrated by the author. Yeah. Because with nonfiction books, they they know what they were trying to say. They know what to emphasize. They know how they're trying to make their arguments or or illustrate their points or whatever. Um, With fiction books, I'm a little torn because I think that would be true for the Madeline Langle version. She knows what she was trying to convey, but does she have the skill to convey it verbally? Uh, or I should say orally, because the whole yeah. book is verbal, so to speak. But anyway, uh, so do you want an actress of uh, you know the caliber of whoever you guys were talking about? Uh, I looked her up. She's done some good stuff. Uh, do you want an actress like that to narrate it, or do you want the author who understood the story on you know obviously a an individual? I, I would just level. see it as different takes that kind there of you go. that expand or you know, help you look at the story from a different point of view, if you will. But uh, yeah, yeah, because like reading it, I get, you know, the way I imagine it and then audiobook kind of imagine things a little differently or catch different things than I did when I was reading. So, well, I hope people will pop into Discord and let us know their thoughts. I know I said more than one thing that people will be delighted to uh, abuse me for so please go do that uh disagree <laughs> with some of my takes or whatever that's fine uh but also uh, i'm curious to hear if anybody has listened to the madeline langle audiobook or you know any any other versions of it that people like i i want to hear yeah. about it so pop into discord everybody go check it out um we're gonna call it here for today megan and coding foo which by the way i didn't even mention that is your name on discord that's how people should know you (laughs) i was terrible i was a terrible host today uh but i'm glad that the two of you were here so we could talk a little bit of wrinkle in time together and i will see both of you and everybody else on discord and uh and i think i'll see both of you at the 10th anniversary meetup in february so people should go check that out Um, all right everybody thanks for listening and I will see you all next time bye